All right. Hey, everybody. It is another episode of Public Note Podcast. This is your boy, Sam Connor. And I am very happy to announce to everybody here that I got Marco Montes Neri with me here in the studio, virtually, of course. He is the owner of Saldo.mx. It's a real powerful piece of, of protocol and application that people can use. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, but before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you guys know that you are listening to courtesy of Public Node, which is a nonprofit organization led by you, the Stellar community, members working together to support the open and inclusive Stellar network. And with that, this is Marco. Marco, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me here, Sam. Awesome. So Marco, for those that are hearing from you for the first time, can you share some background on yourself? Sure. Relevant to this conversation, I, I've been involved in mostly two things for the last 10 years. I've been working in payments, mobile payments in, in LATAM, working for big corporations. And I also spent a lot of time working on blockchain technology from research and building prototypes and also consulting and then and trying to understand where all this technology is heading to. And, and yeah, those Two things are what I'm passionate about, and that's exactly what it's been it's in my life the, the last few years. Wow. So this, uh, what you're doing with Saldo is definitely a, a passion project for you. None, and that's pretty straightforward to say there. Yeah. Saldo is at the intersection of two things that me and, and my team loves, which, which is kind of the social impact that is working with migrant workers closely and the technology aspect, which is like how to leverage technology to create better opportunities for people. Awesome. So kind of going down that round of, of discussion there, I always like to give the audience a glimpse into these different parts of the globe, because for a lot of the Western listeners, many that are listening right now in the United States, they don't quite understand what is happening and, and how platforms like Saldo.mx can really impact people. So can you give them a glimpse into Mexico a bit? You know, tell us a little bit about it. I, I know that there's a couple of cool facts that I did some research on here and I wanted to kind of share with you, see if I'm on par here. So we first met in Mexico City at Meridian 2019, right? Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember. It was great. And that was my first time in Mexico City and it was a beautiful place. So true or false, Mexico City is built on the site of the former Aztec capital. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, Tenochtitlan. Correct. Wow. Okay. That's pretty neat. And uh, it's actually the oldest city in North America. I don't think it's the oldest city in, in North America, but it's okay. definitely older than most of the, I think almost all of the US cities, for example. But I remember that, for example, the city that I went to college to, it's a little city called Cholula not far from Puebla, my, my hometown. And, and that's a older city for sure. This is something like 500 BC and, and it's definitely older than Mexico City. But Mexico City, definitely, it, it's actually an interesting place because as you said, there are like things built on top of other things that passed in previous eras. And so you can see the combination. It's eclectic. It's full of different things that are merging in this super rich cultural city that it's really nice to visit. It was beautiful. I mean, I remember when I was posting photos of Mexico City, people back here in the States were shocked. What? Really? That's not what they show on TV. But it was beautiful. I, I enjoyed it. I, I loved it. Now, here's something else that I learned. 
And I want to make sure that I'm correct on this. That's why you're here. So true or false, we all have Mexico to thank for chocolate. True. I mean, yeah, more in, in the South, there's an area uh, that it's called Choconusco. I think what it's, what it's interesting, it's the word chocolate comes from chocolatl, that it, mm. it's a Nahuatl word. I definitely think that it's one of the areas that, you know, like these cacao beans uh, were actually being used by Aztecs as currency. Really? Yeah. I think it's interesting. And, and, and I think that they know about this because the people doing research, they found fake cacao beans. So imagine like people were kind of, <laughs> were trying to counterfeit these cacao beans with, I don't know, avocado pits and stuff. <laughs> you can see from those things that people were seeing value uh-huh. in these beans and they were using them as, as currency. So I don't know, maybe someone can um, tokenize those beans on Stellar. <laughs> there you go. Hey, it, as they always say, you can't knock the hustle, as they say. They were counterfeiting back then. Chacao beans. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> money and, and, and fake money. I mean, those are things that are not new. Not new. Yeah. You know, even in the state, people make a big shocker of this whole thing of currency, but they forget that this is going back to Andrew Jackson years. There were multiple currencies out there. You know, every state had their own currency. So yeah, we're just repeating history, folks. Yeah. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Nothing new under the sun. On the topic of chocolate we have Mexico to thank for. Real quickly, what are some other foods that are popular here in the States that maybe we are not aware originated in Mexico? Yeah. Well, this is not my area of expertise, but uh, things that I that I learned in the past that are coming from Mexico, tomato. Tomato. I love tomato. Yeah. And I think <laughs> it's the same. The word tomato it comes from tomato, something related to beet fruit or something like that. Yeah, they believe it's endemic from the Hmm. Mexico area. So we have some several things, some nice weather that allows some interesting stuff to grow. We we have also like, you know, tequila, stuff like that. Now now, now we're talking tequila. (laughs) Before we go too deeply into, uh, we can go offline and talk about the best tequila a little bit later. But I know a lot of folks here, obviously, in the stellar community, would like for us to talk a little bit more about the tech side of things. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's start with the premise, because obviously this is about remittances, right? Remittances and folks being able to help with paying bills cross-border. Help people understand why remittance is, is so important to the people of Mexico. A little background on employment opportunities, economy, and it's just kind of the, the foundation of, of your motivation to create this app. It's something in- interesting to s- if someone like goes to Mexico or Guatemala or any of the, of, of the countries nearby, they would realize immediately how important remittances are. I was reading that one out of five adults in Mexico have a family member in the U.S. who's working hard and sending money over. So it's a fundamental part of, of the income of the families that live in Mexico. Mm. It's the way that we have a lot of support for things that are like, and you, it's like, it's like a salary that gets paid in a different country and that it's moved across the border so that you can like pay the rent and all the monthly expenses. So it's not the idea of, hey, I'm going to like send wealth over and try to avoid taxes. It's not at all that story. It's, it's about families that happen to have a family member that it's working hard in a kitchen in, in New York City or in a field in California, and that month over month are sending money over. And 
And that in a way creates like a safety net. The thing that it creates this this tiny amounts of money that flow, that in aggregate, it's not tiny at all. It's uh, definitely a lot of money. Mexico, US is the, is the single largest corridor in the world. Wow. So I think it's a massive effect that, that you can see everywhere in, in Mexico. So if you visit different cities, you will see money transfer offices all over the place because people go and pick up the cash that the husband is uh, sending over. So it's it's fundamental piece in the income of millions of families, and that's why we we consider it as a as a meaningful like area to work in. Wow, one out of five—that's a number I wasn't expecting. Incredible. So currently, right now, how was money transferred? You mentioned that there's basically money transfer locations all over the city. Give us an idea of how that process is right now, so we can better understand what Saldo brings to the table to make it better. Yeah. So the kind of the general like the traditional remittance, which is still alive it's people who have cash in their hands it's migrant workers they are in a way excluded from the formal financial system so that's where the problem starts mm. so there's this system of bank accounts in the u.s that they are not serving well these these communities for several reasons for example these people sometimes they don't have the right credentials to open a bank account or sometimes they don't understand the fee structure or they don't understand why if they deposit cash sometimes the account is frozen. So they freak out and just take the money out. They end up having a lot of cash in, in, in the hand. Mm. So they have to go with that cash and give it to the guy that it's a cashier in, in one convenience store that happens to be an agent of, of these money transfer companies. And they are the ones that take care of the exchange of the currency, like dollars for pesos. Someone else in, in Mexico would, will go and, and pick up the cash in a similar convenience store. So the problem there, it's, uh, there are several problems for sure. So the most well-known problem is, is the fee structure. You have so many intermediaries, you have a lot of fees to pay, right? You, you have to pay someone that it's taking that cash. They will not do it for free. This is like the money transfer agent. There's a money transfer company and, and, and also like the recipients on the recipient side the company that needs to have some pesos sitting there waiting for someone to go and pick up some cash. That is a super expensive problem. And many startups have been trying to solve that by just making that cheap. Because like in a way, I think people are paying $10, a $10 fee for transactions sometimes. And it's it's very expensive. And Mexico, it's one, one of the most cheap corridors because there's a lot of competition. But if you go to different corridors where less remittances happen, fees go way up. That is actually a problem, but it, it's a tough problem to solve, like just to reduce the, the fees that people pay. And many startups have failed just trying to, to lower the, the, the cost of, of a money transfer. And in a way, I think it's almost impossible because it's a very efficient market. Kind of what we're trying to do here at Saldo is not that. We are trying to digitize the way that people hold money in accounts. We're basically trying to replace like a bank for them, a bank that provides optionality and gives them an option to hold whatever currency they want to hold and to make payments to whatever company they want to make payments to. What we saw in general with the technology that we're working with, it's capable of, of generating an alternative to the traditional banks. So we've been uh, trying to 
understand how we can offer that product similar to a bank account mm -hmm. so that they don't have to hold the entire money and wealth in cash, you know, under the mattress. Right. It's super ambitious in a way, but it's very different from just trying to lower the costs of money transfer. It's more about trying to replace the tools that they have to store value. What motivated you to start Saldo? We were deeply frustrated with how the things didn't change for 50 years. So that's, that's one thing. And, and, and the other, it's that we saw the opportunity of for the very first time, like new players are starting to be able to compete with banks. So that's also something that it's very recent. So the, there are some things that have changed, which is uh, technology that has emerged. Regulation has changed as well. And somehow smaller companies and banks are able to offer products that are very similar to what a bank offers. And so I think that those two things are extremely important. It's the perfect time in history to make this change in, in the way people use and hold their money. That is interesting. You brought up some changes in regulations. I read somewhere where the Mexican government approved saldo.mx to be used. What exactly does that mean? What, what happened there? Yeah, I think that's coming from an interesting article that uh, was written on Coindesk, I think. It's there's a new regulatory framework in Mexico. And what this happened like a couple of years ago, this new regulation has is a grandfather clause. So that means that companies who were previously doing some activities and they were like also engaging in conversations with the regulators, they have this grandfathering, which basically uh, allows us and a few others to currently have operations instead of waiting for them to, to finalize like all the rulings uh, that they're working on. And, and basically, we, we are operational right now. So it means that we're operational and we are complying with current law, uh, which is brand new, and that uh, it's evolving over time. So you guys are live and active right now. I can download the app. My listeners can download the app and use it today. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not only an app, right? It, it's a, a, an infrastructure piece. Mm. What is relevant to this conversation is that at the end of the day, we are we're the digital pesos, mm. right? And the digital pesos, in a way right now, we're using Stellar as a substrate so that these digital pesos can be moved and transferred and utilized by several apps. We are not only this app that you are referring to. We, we are more like the infrastructure that our app can make use of but also other apps can. Mm. So for example, we have a, a website, smx.saldo.mx, which is a web interface for these wallets. So someone, uh, which is not, maybe not a Mexican, so probably one American person that has some bills or some people to pay in Mexico, they can easily provide some information and open an account, which is better than a bank because it can be created remotely Instead of going to Mexico, which now is really hard across the border and go to a bank branch and open a bank account. So basically they can go to smx.saldo.mx, fill out a form, and they have a replacement of, of a bank account in Mexico, which is fully connected to the system down there. So you can basically real-time pay people, send money to a debit card, send money to a bank wow. account, and you can top up this account, even with PayPal or your debit card in the U.S., and all of that can be 
seen and, and managed by, by the Stellar Protocol. And that, that's how it works. Ooh. It's more than, than just the app that has this specific goal of serving migrant workers. It's something that can serve the entire fintech ecosystem, B2B and B2C, so that anyone that has the need to pay with Mexican pesos, a person or a company, they can use this, this piece of software. Wow. You guys heard that? Put some respect on this name. I'm telling you, I had no idea there was so much going on. Man, you're blow, you, you blowing my mind over here, man. I didn't know that you didn't have an account yet. Yeah, I, I know. Let me go ahead and set that up. I might be able to talk to you about that with the business that I have. That's really impressive. So walk us through then, I guess, a typical user experience. There's a couple different corridors, right? You talked about now from a maybe a business owner that aspect. You want to pay employees or, or whatnot, businesses, bills from the U.S. or from what, and for any country, I guess, back to Mexico. What about regular individuals? If they want to, let's say, you know, they have a mother that still lives there and they want to pay her, her light bill, her utility bill, cable bill, right? Can you share that kind of experience that individuals can use? Yeah. What I was talking about was a way that any person can actually create an account with okay. us, but, but also we have a mobile app that, that you are kind of talking about, which is the tool that we give to migrant workers so that they can like directly pay bills. It's more like a, a strategy that, that we have to acquire users in which we facilitate specific payments for, for example, paying the electric bill or the gas company or the mortgage. So those like monthly expenses that I talked about, you can do do it with a click of a button. So what we saw is that people were sometimes relying on, on someone in Mexico and sending money over through the traditional uh, services. And they actually had to trust someone uh, so that they can pick up the cash and, and make those payments. And the reality was that they were not actually doing those payments. So at the end of, of, of like the year, the company started to, I don't know, like uh, sending some, some notifications that the payments were not made. So like th there are a lot of problems in the process. Uh, so we decided to create a tool to give control uh, over the way people can pay those bills from the U.S. without relying on someone else in Mexico. So that's a specific use case that we found very interesting and that was missing. Uh, so we created this Saldo.mx app that migrant workers or basically any Mexican, as you say, in, in, in the U.S. or, or some, somewhere else can just used to to pay for things the electric bill and the cable company pay the internet and stuff like that that it's uh badly needed on a regular basis and i mean this might sound like a a simple question but for me to understand so so let's say the the cable company right i'm here and i want to pay my mother-in-law's cable bill does it go into xlm does it transfer in or you know how does it work on the behind the scenes side we're only uh, operating right now the, the Mexican part. So what, what it means is that we have multiple ways to buy those digital pesos that are minted on the Stellar Ledger. So that's uh, the way that you can see how we utilize the Stellar protocol. But once that you have those pesos, we have the functionality so that you can trigger a payment to the cable company. So effectively what it does 
is that it transfers through Stellar to a wallet that we have control of uh, some amount of, of digital pesos. And once we receive those pesos, we basically take care of the final settlement of the payment, which is paying the, the, the cable company. So for that, we, we have agreements with almost 50 companies in Mexico that we help them to collect payments. Because imagine if you are a cable company or a water utility in Mexico, and, and, and how are you going to go to New York City and collect payments from these people who are working in, in, in the kitchen? Right. And, and this is a real story. So we, we were talking to, to the people at, at water utility companies in, in Mexico, and, and they were saying like, yeah, I mean, we, we have a default rate of 70% wow. because the people actually in this little town, old men are working in, in New York City. And the reality is that some people were assuming that actually those 70% of people defaulting was because they, they didn't want to pay, which is like not true at all. Mm. So they basically, it's because there are no means. There's no mean for them to actually make the payments because those water utility companies, they, they're not payment processors. They, they, they don't have the technical expertise. And so for them, it's really, really hard to just go and set up a payment web page uh, that it's open uh, to the world and that it's connected to, to the accounts and that accepts the payment methods that these people in a different country are adopting. That definitely puts a visualization in there for me. So they're all, the only other option, as you mentioned earlier, is you have, let's say, that gentleman you mentioned working in New York City would have to, like you said, trust somebody. I'm going to mail you or send you, you know, through West Union the money, then that person that would have to physically then go down and pay the water utility bill. I could honestly see how that can be risky. That makes a lot of sense. And so Saldo bridges that gap, allows him to go directly because there is no online processing portal for him to do so. He can go through Saldo and connect directly through you all to paying his bills. Yeah, so we started by trying to understand what, what is this like uh, remittance for? Why are people sending money over? And this is not uh, based on our research. It's very much professional research uh, saying that the destination for that money, these, these type of payments, like 70% of the traditional remittance ends up being in this type of utility payments that people have to do. So the, as I said, it's the money transfer in, in a way, it's, it's just salary that it's being paid in a different country. So it makes a lot of sense to automate the 70 or 80% of the destination of, of those funds and to make it easier so that you can, from the very beginning, decide where you want to put this money. So the, the way that we also look at it is, is that these communities don't have a mental accounting system. So imagine that you can put some a jar with money that it's only for this type of expenses, right? So this is for the construction of a house. This is for the services. This is for a little savings and a rainy fund. So in a way, like we are starting to build that uh -huh. because that, that's a way that we help them to manage in a better way their finances. And that is what creates real impact. It's something that you cannot do with cash and it's actually something that you cannot do with bank accounts that people use now so i i mean some of them are, are starting to yeah create ways to 
create goals and and to create several accounts uh, for better management, but it's very limited. I mean, with a single function in a matter of seconds, you can create a different wallet. It's very easy to do in software. And, and, and so like programmable money is what it's good for. So I think that's, that's exactly what would we see and how we can take advantage of that so that users can have a better life with the same amount of money that, that they're making. I love it. What is the average settlement time for bills? So how far in advance would the user have to send that payment in to make sure that they reach the deadline? Everything's automated. We, we created not only like agreements with those billers, but we also uh, created, you know, we have APIs and we have uh, web services both sides for like, you know, notifying that the payment happened and real-time reconciliation. If you pay a bill... Even like in those tiny municipalities that I was talking about. So yeah, the payment, it's done and settled uh, instantaneously. Obviously, like Mexico, it's not an easy country to to achieve these things. So as you can imagine, there are some state-owned companies. We have only one electric company for the entire population. Can you imagine? It's in, in, and it's it's slow and it's not as efficient as we as we would love to to have. So in those cases. Obviously, it can take uh, one day or to have those bills completely paid and, and, and reflected in their systems. But that's something that over time is getting better and, and it's being improved. Another question that I had was, um, what about like if I wanted to send money directly to a family member in Mexico? Is that something that you guys are into or no? It's something that in a way it's already possible. And I mentioned the web uh, interface because we right away asked for the personal information that we need. Okay. The bill pay app, though, it's a little bit different in, in the experience. Because imagine that that you're going to pay your electric bill through like a third-party system. And then they start asking you for personal information and, and, and when were you born. So this is like kind of weird. Those things are preventing people from using these services. So, for example, in, in the same way, the bill pay app that we have, we want to have a version that doesn't have all those complexities, all those like KYC requirements up front. Right. So the way that we see at that is we have the bill pay app that can be used without giving your entire personal information uh, up front. And then, obviously, there are some features that you cannot have access to, which is like sending money peer-to-peer or sending money to a bank account. Those are things that we actually provide today, but they're not immediately available for those reasons that I mentioned. The way that people would have access to those extra features is to provide, upgrade your account, provide those uh, extra information that we require as a company that complies with regulations and anti-money laundering procedures uh, so that we can facilitate those peer-to-peer payments and payments to basically any person or any bank account uh, real time. But but again, the, with the web app that we today have, people can do it uh, right away. They can, they can just go and create an account, provide that information. They would understand why, why we're requiring that, that information and they can effectively pay any person in Mexico real time. I've got an employee and uh, I know they send money back and they mentioned to me, cause I actually told them that we'll be having this conversation. One of the hurdles that they find is there's a limit 
to how much money they can send over. I want to say they say maybe like 800 a month. You know, if they're able to go through the process, upgrade their account, would they be able to send as much as they wanted? Yeah, it's, I mean, in a way, like all these things that people complain about in terms of the experience of, of some financial apps, they have to do with regulations. So regulations, honestly, like I understand like why they're there and we all want to prevent money laundry, but in a way that it's, it's very hard because it creates a lot of friction. Right. So in one way, you're trying to create inclusion by making simple for someone to use digital money, but you have this other side, which is creating barriers for them to use those tools. Uh, so in a way, like it's, it's something that we as tech companies are always fighting against and also trying to find specific areas in which we can skip some of these things under specific circumstances so we can make it friendlier and, and, and easier. And that's, it's tricky. It's always tricky, but, but definitely there's always a way to, to make improvements in the, in the user experience. Awesome. So uh, how did you go about choosing Stellar? There's a lot of options out there. You have Ripple, Ethereum. Why Stellar? We've done a fair amount of development in the platforms that you mentioned. Probably we were like the first ones moving real money over the Ripple protocol. Really? Back in probably 2014, we were already using it. It was early at, at the time because actually what in Stellar is called Anchors, at the time, there were a few companies acting as, as those in, in the Ripple ecosystem. In that project, I think they call them gateways, or they used to call them gateways. But what I can say is we are in the payments space, and there aren't a lot of projects uh, in the blockchain space that are optimized for payment. So now it's very evident that you cannot use Ethereum for payment. It's Something radical needs to happen before projects like ours can emerge in the Ethereum ecosystem because I've paid myself like fees of, you know, like $12 <laughs> for an Ethereum transaction in the past few weeks. Right. So I, I understand why people do it, but it's kind of a different area. I'm not saying that it's worse or better. It's just like it allows different use cases and it, it has other drivers for people to, to go and, and use it. Uh, what we're trying to solve is very aligned with what Stellar actually is trying to solve as, as a foundation, as a, as a system, as, as an ecosystem. So early on, when we were, when I say we, because we, I, I've been working with, with my team for years on mobile payments, it, actually back in, I think pre-Bitcoin, me and what our software architect, we were at the time trying to create an SMS-based payment system, kind of what M-Pesa is in, in Africa. We ended up like seeing that there's a lot of friction because like you rely on, on technology that only, it's not internet, but it's like based on, on, on the teleco company. And that's why that thing didn't work. And I, I ended up working for a big teleco company in a similar project that didn't scale for, for, for the same reasons, because if you're not using internet, so you can only have access to a group of users of a single teleco company, a single carrier, and it's so it's so hard to scale. And that was the main problem in, in Africa, right? So, so mobile money was great, but the problem was that it was not interoperable. 
So I think in back in 2013, I was, or end of 2012, I was reading about Bitcoin and, and it blew my mind. I realized from the payment perspective, it, it was filling a gap that I saw early on, which is like a money translator. Because my, my question before was, okay, I have this digital peso that it's backed by fiat deposits and there's something like that in Europe, but what is going to actually make a European country to trust those digital pesos or the, or the other way around? So you really need to have an asset that can be, I mean, people think that it may be like a dollar issued by a federal uh, government or, or, the, or the central bank. But the reality is that the U.S. doesn't work that way. And it's very slow in a way. And also, like, we have Bitcoin. I mean, in the last 10 years, it's an asset that has matured. And it's an asset that can translate money because basically someone can accept, maybe the European company that I was talking about may not accept the digital peso, but they definitely would accept Bitcoin and they would immediately sell it for the currency that they want to hold, in that case, euro, and that's it. So you don't have to be exposed to the Bitcoin volatility. In that way, uh, I remember that probably first time I bought Bitcoin, I, th I think I, I, maybe not the first time, but the second time was using uh, local Bitcoins. And local Bitcoins is using exactly that. It's using Bitcoin as, as a money translator. But, you know, the, the exchange rates are really bad because there are manual orders that market makers are providing to the system. So I realized that there was something missing there and that uh, there was a space for a single protocol to, to have the asset that has no counterparty risk, this like digital native, but also a protocol that supports other currencies. So when I read about Ripple and it made a lot of sense to me because I was exactly thinking along those lines. Hmm. It was like you have a protocol that actually has these native assets, but also in the same stack, you can basically uh, manage digital fiat. And so when I saw that project, I actually started to look at it very closely and, and playing with it. And the problem with Ripple was that it actually stopped believing in the idea of having a single network with those different assets that represent real world assets. And actually, even if they have something similar to what Stellar has now, they stopped uh, using it years ago hmm. because they realized that, uh, as I said, like you need to be, it's not easy to find those businesses that today they would be well known as stable currency issuers. But the reality is that in 2015, or, or, or I mean, the companies that were issuing those assets were taking huge amounts of regulatory risk. And in a way, there was no regulatory framework that these projects could be under. The result of that was that there was a lot of malicious actors and it prevented that ecosystem of, of different uh, tokens to emerge. And they kind of like switched gears and started focusing on, on other projects that were actually not using the Ripple Ledger. So in a way, like they stopped themselves working with startups and they like focused on other products that they had that were not actually uh, using the Ripple Ledger at all. Hmm. And, and then like I started looking at Ethereum because people were using Ethereum as, as a substrate for issuing 
stable coins with today, it's a very successful use case. But as I said, if you are trying to facilitate micropayments, it's, it's a really, really tough network to work with. I've always been confused about that one, is that there's so many stable coins that are being created on Ethereum, but it's so expensive. I, I just... I never, I, I just, I guess I don't understand. Am I missing something? <laughs> Is there something that Ethereum offers that, you know, lends people to want to create stable coins on, on the network? For several reasons, Ethereum has created an interesting substrate for people to create native assets. So something that, for example, it's, uh, we haven't seen in other networks is that instead of like reflecting or, or representing assets that live elsewhere, and that you're just trying to create a digital representation of, of those. For the functionalities that a network like Ethereum offers, uh, some people have been able to create assets that are native to that network. So you can have things like, for example, Maker or things like Uni that are governance tokens and things like that, that are basically only live there. You know, and that that's something interesting that it's only possible because they have a a full like virtual machine that you can create a very complex functionality, but it's highly experimental and it's not something that can scale. And this is something that it's well accepted that you're bounded. You are not trying to solve a real world problem. Mm. You are trying to, you know, it's, it's a different purpose why these companies are, are trying to do these things. Uh, so we as, as a company, for example, like the reason why we are using Stellar is because we want to scale beyond crypto. Crypto, in a way, like feels that very limited compared to the world. Mm -hmm. It feels different if you're inside crypto, but the reality is that the world is so big and so diverse that at some point, after being like a lot of time playing around with crypto, you end up feeling that you are very limited and bounded. So, so you would, what you really want to do is is like create impact to people who don't care about like all of the, the things that happen sometimes in crypto and that people are, are just trying to solve or find solutions to their problems. I didn't see migrant workers very much um, involved in Bitcoin or, or crypto. And we want it to be where these uh, migrant workers are. So that's, that's why like I think Stellar has been very good at thinking of a system that it's actually good for projects who want to abstract away all the complexities that crypto has. And also it has stick to the original plan of creating like this network of different uh, real world assets represented in a single network that uses the same protocol as a native internet currency and also facilitates an order book that enable transactions and conversion of one asset to another and that's uh, that's something that we're excited about, and and that makes Stellar like the best project right now for the thing that we're trying to do. It's a long answer, but I mean, this is I think a long podcast, and, and that's why I like. No, I think that was great. No, no, I mean, you, you've all been someone that I respected even more so now because I've learned so much about your extensive background and the amount of thoughts and um, care that you put into what you're creating. So you answered a lot of great questions as far as between Ripple, Ethereum. It's one of those things where sometimes in the crypto community, people are what we call maximalist. And that's something that I, I just don't believe in. You know, I believe that there's different use cases for everything. 
And so, you know, where we are right now, I think as a community is if we want to move forward, it's important that we start to clearly define what Ethereum is great at and what their limitations are, what Stellar is great at and what its limitations are. And you were able to really describe that in a clear way. Uh, So, you know, you've been involved in the community for a while. Uh, How has your experience been working with the Stellar Development Foundation? Yeah, as as I said, I think their goals are really aligned to our goals. Mm -hmm. And and so it's easy to work with with someone or with some entity that actually is seeing the same opportunity uh, of creating a new financial system. So I think that in a fundamental way, like we, we are very, very much aligned. They are trying to make as much as possible to create like a minimum viable network, right? With, with a minimum uh, number of anchors, you know, be, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to create some network effects. Why would you use something like Stellar or any other network? It's because the people are there, right? Because there are some minimum amount of activity already happening. And before that, you need to bootstrap that activity. And we're at that stage. Mm-hmm. You need to support a lot, like the the projects that are creating that minimum viable activity. If you see a network, and then th- that's how like Stellar wins over like traditional digital money. Traditional digital money, meaning like PayPal, it's that at some point because it's not interoperable. So it's not it's not it's not possible to send money from a PayPal account to a WeChat Pay, and both are very successful projects. But if you, if, if you want to create a new type of electronic money platform, you really need to have some interoperability there. And the result of the interoperability is that you have in a single network activity that happens and that creates network effects, which is what basically you want to, to create. And, and it's so in a way, like we are trying to bring activity to the Stellar network. And Stellar Foundation is trying to bootstrap the minimum viable activity so that the the network becomes compelling enough for other projects to plug in. I see like different level of engagement in the product. So so first of all, you have the anchors, which is like this digital money, which is for sure companies that will, if they want to maintain operations like reliably, they they would need to be regulated, right? Because... Mm -hmm. What you're doing, and, and this is real in, in the entire world, like if you are custodying assets for like people, you're doing something that it's going to end up being regulated everywhere in the world. So it's like if Sam gives me 20 bucks and I write a title saying, hey, Sam, I owe you 20 bucks. That's a regulated activity across the board. So the anchors is a type of entity that needs to be there and that it's hard to deploy because basically there's a lot of capital investment that needs to go in these entities because this is not two people companies. Uh, this right. is like, it needs to be robust. You need to have a compliance team. You need to have engineers. You need to have a, a lot of things that we actually didn't realize like five years ago. And we've been growing a lot, a lot because otherwise there's no way to support that activity. And then the, the, there's a different level of engagement for other projects that will come after ours is like, hey, you know what? I'm We're just like three good developers and we just want to create a software that uses some digital pesos because it automates payments for companies that actually ends up paying people in Mexico who are freelancers. So those entities could leverage the Stellar network and the digital pesos that, that we offer by just 
writing a, a simple software and a different use case from the one that we're interested in. And that will come. But we are all like trying to bootstrap first, mm-hmm. like the, the main network activity so that it can actually be interesting for developers and for other companies. And that at the end of the day, they can see Stellar as a no-brainer. It's a way that they definitely need to be plugged into. And that's when like you make something like Stellar, for example, a standard. When you have like the same language that a point of sale can speak in Mexico or Nigeria. So that's the goal. So, so that you mm-hmm. can like, and, and the user, again, the user doesn't want to understand all the complexities of blockchain. They just want to like buy a cup of coffee. So when they, <laughs> they show up at a point of sale, they just want to like scan a QR code. They don't care how, I mean, what the stream looks like. They don't care about the product. They, they care about the, the money that, that it's, actually efficient, that, that, that can be useful to pay for those things that they need. And that's something that it's, it's achievable by just increasing the amount of players that are in the ecosystem. And, and, and we're kind of the first piece of, of the puzzle. And, and I speak about the, the anchors in general. Right, man, that's exciting. So we are obviously talking to the Stellar community. And what you're starting to really articulate is the blueprint for Stellar becoming the standard what can we all do as a community? You know, what can we do as a community, you know, non-coders to help make this happen? I mean, just talk more and, and give feedback, trying the things that are already there. Use saldo.mx, use it, you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, give us feedback. We're not perfect. Uh, definitely there's something to improve. We want, we want to improve the things that um, need to be improved. And for sure, like it's definitely something that, as you say, it's easier to achieve as, a, as an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of collaboration that's starting to happen within the ecosystem that's going to change also a lot. So when you have like a, a nice wallet solution that plugs perfectly into an anchor service, I mean, those things are happening already. And the more they happen, the, the, the more adoption and the more growth for all of us. Yeah, I'm excited. I know that SDF has Vibrant coming out soon. And, and it's always great to have more, as you said, wallet interfaces, creates more activity and, and more traffic. So that's always exciting. Yeah. And in general, it's really hard for a single player. It doesn't matter if it's the Stellar Foundation or an anchor. To, mm-hmm. to like feel the real needs of people, right? right? So what we don't want to do is like make a lot of assumption of what people need mm-hmm. before asking and before like having something out there that people can give feedback to. Right. So the reality is that the world is really diverse and they don't all need the same thing. We've learned a lot from our users of what they need. Again, we, we actually, even if I'm Mexican and a lot of in our team are really, really, really close to the problem that we're solving, we never thought about some of the things that, that we saw from, from the users. And, and that is super valuable. Uh, being like open and try, I mean, actually ship more things that even if not perfect, they're capable of, you know, being tried. And, and that's super important. Like the, these feedback loop. It needs to happen more if we want to, to like solve real world problems, right? Because at the end of the day, maybe we, we come up with something that is gonna is gonna save the world, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna like give Bitcoin to the world and, and then we're gonna save their lives. 
And and the reality is that, I mean, people, they don't see the value in there. Because some of them actually live day by day, right? Especially for, for Mexico. So if, if you tell someone, you know what? If you put money in this thing, it will preserve over time and you, you're not going to lose value because of your inflation. Honestly, they don't know if they're going to have money in their account two months from now. So like inflation, it's not a big concern for them. So a big concern for them is if they are not able to pay the rent because that's creating noise. So we really need to be creating those painkillers for them, which mm-hmm. in our case is you're reliably paying those bills that we're giving you peace of mind. We're probably automatically probably providing an insurance policy for a specific thing. Those are painkillers because you, you are, you're solving something that they were concerned about. But if like you solve inflation for them, that's a vitamin, and they don't they don't want that. Right. They want to solve like the real problems that uh, makes them not be able to sleep peacefully, and, and and we all should be focusing on that. That's a great point. Something that I, that I can relate to personally is I think that you a lot of times you you see that where you have to really speak to the people and understand, um, and, and kind of reason why even you know with this podcast, you know my first questions are about Mexico. Because at the end of the day, it's about who are the people? What are they dealing with? What is the, the one thing that you can solve right now, as you just mentioned, that could help them sleep peacefully at night? Because when you don't have your food, your shelter, your basic needs taken care of, you can't, like you said, nothing else matters. You can't think of anything else. Nothing else matters. I've been there. I know what it's like not to have those basic needs covered. And I also know the difference that it brings mentally to move past that. And I'm just happy that you're out there speaking for everybody, listening to the community and and bringing those things. So just sort of to wrap this up here, this is clearly the beginning of the story for you, Marco and and Saldo.mx. I I really see a a bright future. Where do you see you guys 10 years from now? What what is your ultimate goal? Yeah, well, definitely for Saldo, MX needs to be the most important fintech in Mexico. It means that we need to be the digital peso that entirely eats the, the whole ecosystem of apps that uses digital money. We need to be beyond the use case for migrant workers if we want to succeed because that's uh, why we're going through all these regulatory processes. And we need to be able to allow other use cases to be built on top. So what I'm saying is that, again, there are a lot of things to learn from other projects. So you can see the explosion of stable coins. And the reason why they are this is happening is because there are so many use cases that mm-hmm. can actually emerge from the existence of these new e-money that it's interoperable. So I think that we need to be fast enough and good enough so that the other projects can see the infrastructure that we're building as the best option for them. And that creates, again, the network effect and that creates full standard, not only of the protocol, but also like the asset that people are like accepting. So we can imagine like wallets all accepting SMX, which is our digital peso, and actually not even like financial apps, right? If you are building, for example, like a gig economy app that pays people, you don't want to be a bank. You don't want to be a regulated entity. You, you need right. to have 
And right now, if you see what, what happened in the past, is that companies like Uber or companies like Airbnb yeah. had to be a regulated entity. So Airbnb, it's a money transmitter in, in a lot of states in, in, in the U.S. And, hmm. and that cannot happen in the future because that's not efficient. So they were able to do it because they, they raised a lot of venture money and they, and they were good operators. But in the future, you can make the things easier for everybody by just providing electronic money that is open access, which is something that we are seeing before many other projects. We, we have that first move advantage. We've seen the whole ecosystem to emerge. So we know really well what are the, the barriers, what were the challenges. We, I mean, we, we've done a lot of, of the work needed. So we actually are in a good position to win this battle and, and become like the default peso for anyone, not, not only in Mexico, but elsewhere that need to do payments denominated in, in Mexican peso. We need to be that one-stop shop. And as a result, the most important fintech in the, the, that jurisdiction. I love that answer. The most important fintech. For the listeners, Marco, if they want to utilize your services, what is the website that they need to go to right now to get more information and sign up? Yeah, it's uh, smx.saldo.mx. That's the custodial wallet. It's the easiest way that they can like test, create an account, be able to purchase some pesos. And yeah, then they can send over those pesos to their like non-custodial wallets as well. But we think that the first interface that needs to be there, it's easy to use. It's this custodial wallet that we offer through the URL that I just mentioned. And say that one more time. It's SM... SMX which is actually the name of the asset that we issue on seller, SMX, dot saldo, dot MX. Awesome. And for those like who know better how to interact with Stellar, that's our home domain. So basically that's the endpoint where they can find the transfer server, the authentication server, and the federation server that we expose to the Stellar ecosystem players so that they can interact with our services. We're compliant with things like SEP24. So for example, if you already have a wallet that actually uses the Stellar and complies with SEP24, you can enable today to your users, you know, you can enable deposits and withdrawals in Mexico through our SEP24 service that it's accessible uh, in the same URL. So it's, it's fascinating what can be done. As you say, we're in early days, but we're pretty excited. All right. And you should be, because I know I am. <laughs> I'm really excited. Well, thank you so much, Marco, for your time and, and your knowledge. Thank you for sharing that with us. To everybody listening, make sure to follow this project. The website, again, is smx.saldo.mx. This is Marco, Sam Connor, and we're out. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam.